Sustainability, the mission to avert a climate catastrophe and create a more socially equitable world has been having a trickier time lately. Over the past decade, we've gotten used to hearing an almost universal agreement among key stakeholders that delivering net zero is an urgent matter. Yet some governments have moved to put the brakes on, perhaps to focus on the problems of the here and now, like macroeconomic difficulties, the cost of living crisis, and escalating geopolitical tensions. Governments in the UK, Germany, and the Netherlands are among those that have backpedaled or delayed on ESG policy commitments. In the United States, ESG has become a weapon in the ideological battlefield between Democrats and Republicans. In this special episode, sponsored by Arcus, Infrastructure Partners and Meridium, we'll discuss this backdrop and address whether it's having any negative impact on the infrastructure sector's commitment to sustainable investing. I'm Helen Luer with Infrastructure Investor and this is Spotlight. Sustainability has been a priority across the entire Alternatives universe for many years now, a strong influence shaping investment strategies and allocation decisions. I asked the experts joining us today to rate infrastructure capital's record to date on all matters ESG-related and the sector's contribution thus far to the net zero mission and related global targets like the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. I think it's reasonably high. That's Neil Kravitz, a partner and head of ESG and asset management at Arcus Infrastructure Partners, which focuses on investing in European energy, digital, transport and logistics and industrials assets. I think if you compare infrastructure to the wider private equity sector, the businesses that we invest in and the approaches of the managers in this area are more mature. Clearly, it is a evolving area of our industry. But I think generally, compared to the wider alternative space, infrastructure is in a good place. Kravitz says there's always more that can and should be done. And Matthew Musumdar, partner and deputy chief executive officer at Meridium, with particular responsibility for Europe investment and investor relations, agrees. While Musumdar thinks infrastructure is ahead of the game compared to other asset classes due to an earlier ESG awakening, he also warns that there is no room for complacency. If we want to achieve our targets, whether net zero or a number of other things, infrastructure is going to be a big part of the solution. So, of course, there's also a need to, to continue to do significantly more and also a need to ensure that there's a real connection between uh, the commitments which are being taken and, in a way, the reality on the ground. Averting the looming climate catastrophe is the single biggest challenge facing the world right now, and Kravitz believes that investing in new assets to create a cleaner, greener future for the planet is one of the most important roles infrastructure has. We are the means or the channeling of institutional capital to help the climate change adaption, mitigation and transition. Investors are well aware of the huge opportunity that exists in renewables. Infrastructure Investors' LP Perspective Study 2023 found that 39% of infrastructure LPs are looking to allocate more capital to renewables over the next year. However, the opportunity for institutional capital is much wider than that. Here's Kravitz again. Assessing climate change is part of a process we undertake every transaction before we acquire a business. You know, what we're looking for is, is there a risk of a stranded asset? Is there a physical location risk associated with a specific asset? Are there transition risks, but also transition opportunities around climate change? And clearly, some businesses will require mitigation. So that might be, for example, renewal of a fleet or upgrading of equipment. But I think where 
this is actually a fantastic opportunity for infrastructure is that there is a huge investment required to help provide climate change resilience and where I think one of the biggest impacts a sophisticated investor who has an investment strategy, which is a thinking about building the infrastructure of the future. And this is the way that Arcus thinks about our investment strategy is that there's a huge opportunity to not just invest in what I would consider to be climate change, low hanging fruit, like renewables, which yes, they're, they're important, but they're relatively easy to do, but is actually in the harder subsectors where a lot of investment is required to transition businesses, particularly in the energy and the transportation space from high carbon to a low carbon or no carbon operation. For Meridium, climate resiliency is a core part of the investment equation, says Muzumdar. I mean, in terms of resiliency, this is something that we integrate as part of our very initial analysis for each of the investments we make. So we'll have an initial screening and, and analysis on carbon intensity of the asset, energy-related risks, energy supply uh, risk in particular, as well as uh, the physical risks around the infrastructure. And one of the interesting things is if you come at uh, an early stage into some of these new build projects, and this is the wide majority of what we do is coming earlier before construction starts for new investments. When you come at that stage, investing in resiliency isn't necessarily much more costly. It's something which you can integrate in the actual technical design of your infrastructure by working with the engineers, the architects, the different construction teams. Muzumdar provides a few examples of what climate-resilient assets look like in practice. In buildings now, very often, if you have a risk of potential increased flooding, we'll have all the electric equipment, not on the ground floor, but one level up. And so in a way that makes the building more resilient, if you think about flooding coming in, this is something which has a marginal additional cost. But of course, if you think of the impact of how fast you can start operating your asset again, and then continue the public service in case of flooding, that makes a very big difference, of course, in terms of protecting the ability to deliver the service for the public. And when we come to perhaps climate mitigation, climate adaptation, we launched a, a couple of years ago a dedicated uh, fund, which is called TURF, with the support of the Rockefeller Foundation and a UN agency called UNCDF, which is really aimed at investing in local municipal type of resilience infrastructure. So typically developing projects, fighting against coastal erosion for cities around the, on the ocean. These are the kind of projects that we see become increasingly needed in a way if we want to protect the communities who live on the seashore. Another type of examples is taking old industrial sites and converting them into new energy efficient areas. These are the kind of elements where by taking a quite holistic approach, you can also provide solutions to resiliency challenges. Investors are operating in a climate of uncertainty right now. The UN's 2023 report on the progress of its Sustainable Development Goals urged all stakeholders to double down on efforts to attain those goals by the target date of 2030. With some political backtracking on commitments, this rallying cry is perhaps understandable. However, Kravitz and Muzumdar are optimistic that institutional capital's appetite for sustainable investing has not wavered. If you use the UK example and, and pushing out the date for electrification of vehicles, um, although the date has been extended, there is still the obligation for car manufacturers to sell more than 80% of their vehicles with electric propulsion by the same date. So although the headline is somewhat negative, the fundamentals, I think, of what will happen will still be the case. Often, I think also the private markets look through the politics. And again, if we use the US as an example, for some period of time under the Trump administration, there was obviously 
a bit of a negative move towards environmental aspects, the commitments to the Paris Agreement from the US. But notwithstanding that, if you look at places like California, EV penetration continued to increase very significantly, as well as the, the rolling out of the infrastructure needed to do that. So I still think there's lots of opportunities to invest. We still have very high energy prices. We still have very uncertain energy outlook, and that's driving need for investment, not just for alternative sources of energy, but all sorts of efficiency projects. And again, these sorts of investments are irrespective of the government policy because it, it makes sense to do it. But ultimately, some consistency of government policy for the longer term would help. But I'm an optimist because I, I don't feel at the moment, notwithstanding some of the, the near-term headwinds, that we are short of opportunities to invest. Muzumdar agrees that there are always short-term challenges investors must navigate. New policies, changing regulations, but that's just part and parcel of operating in the infrastructure industry. He stresses that the need to invest in sustainable projects remains. It's so large that regardless of any short-term moves, the most critical essential projects are always going to make it. And so this is an assessment we need to make also as investors when we look at potential opportunities as to how essential these projects are. Despite the anti-ESG stance from some political quarters in the United States, Muzumdar says there is a strong policy push in favour of sustainability and the energy transition. In North America and the United States in particular, we have the largest pipeline we've seen in probably in decades in infrastructure investment, with a very large part of that around energy transition, the IRA, of course. That's the Inflation Reduction Act. But also the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, which is also a very big part of the public policy in the U.S., with a very, very strong focus on sustainability. We're seeing a very large pipeline within new energies, but also energy efficiency. We're investing, for example, in university campuses, which in the U.S. are the size of a small European city, in a way, to upgrade the whole utilities, the buildings, and ensure that these campuses are energy transition ready. Policy aside, a key driver to successfully delivering infrastructure projects and the energy transition is social acceptance, Muzumdar says. We are seeing also, when we engage with local communities and stakeholders on the ground, a real uh, need and willingness to see these projects happen because people are starting to see, unfortunately, the effects of climate change, are starting to see changes in climate patterns and so want to also see projects which go in the right direction for them. This brings a discussion naturally to the importance of evidencing real progress across portfolios, proving that all the positive industry rhetoric on sustainable commitments and goals is in fact matched by actual outcomes, both in terms of delivering financial performance for LPs and for the wider societal good. Both Kravitz and Muzumdar agree this is where a real challenge lies for the sector. What we as an industry have to be aware of is that we also need to prove and to evidence through key performance indicators, key element of measurements, actual actions, that what is happening is consistent with what the industry is, is claiming as a whole. And to take a very concrete example, we've built, for example, high-speed rail projects in France. For these projects, we're able to show, of course, the very positive carbon impact of taking people from the plane or the car and putting them on the train, but we're also able to show the number of jobs we created, the quality of these jobs, what happened to people after construction and new jobs that they got after the peak of construction. Also the impact on local communities, how we manage the environment, the biodiversity, which is also a very important aspect of sustainability and which needs to be protected over time. We can show actually actual actions with clear performance indicators, quantitative indicators, and benchmark ourselves against these indicators. And ultimately, my belief, our belief at Meridium is with our investment strategy, which is investing in infrastructure 
future over the long term, financial and non-financial performance are correlated. Your delivering on sustainability will positively impact your financial performance, perhaps not through higher return, but through a lower volatility, lower risk. Kravitz agrees that managers must show their actions match their stated commitments and policies. And one criticism that could be directed at the sector is that there are still instances where this isn't the case. And that really is, I think, creating a bit of an issue around the social license that's granted to infrastructure businesses. I mean, generally, infrastructure businesses sit at the heart of a community providing a, a resource or a service by doing things like pollution or not respecting health and safety or not handling indigenous communities in the appropriate way. That clearly does create grounds for criticism. Kravitz highlights another criticism labelled at the sector, the lack of standardisation in the way managers are describing and reporting their actions and performance. If investors or the end users or stakeholders can't compare between one participant and another, it is, I think, grounds for being critical because it obviously makes gaps harder to identify and the high performers and the low performers also harder to identify. However, he believes this is a symptom of how fast sustainability has evolved as a sector priority. I mean, if you think about it compared to accounting standards, which have taken a good 100 years to develop and get to a state now where everyone knows exactly what a set of financial statements mean, we're trying to catch up on the ESG side of things to get to an equivalent level. But this is effectively, I would say, an industry in that sense, which is still quite immature. Nevertheless, Kravitz believes maturation is well underway with a growing body of regulation now offering a clearer framework for reporting and allowing for better compatibility of performance across the sector. And clearly one of the things that has developed in recent years is the European Union's Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, which has driven a lot of, I would say, more standardised reporting, which has only just started and we will start to see more of that over time. And clearly as some of the regulation continues to be rolled out and adapted around SFDR, I think that will also help deal with some of the criticisms because of the the standardisation will increase. Kravitz also credits the Global Real Estate Sustainability Benchmark, or GRESP, for helping real assets managers demonstrate that their sustainability credentials are real. There are now about 120 funds and almost 700 assets, infrastructure assets, that are participating. This is a very wide benchmark of performance against others, and that is helping to score and give some, I think, credibility or reliability around standardization of data. Musendar emphasizes the need for asset-specific KPIs. At the end of the day, different projects and different types of investments and companies will have different type of metrics which are most relevant to them depending on their sector and areas of operation. So it's a trade-off that we have to find between being very systematic and having something which is as general as possible and at the same time having something which is so specific that it becomes more difficult to to benchmark in a way. So that's kind of the balance that the industry is trying to find. I think if you asked some investors, they would tell you they're worried about the risk of, you know, some of these performance indicators being a bit self-serving and or uh, a risk of, of box taking. Muzumdar explains that Meridium has developed its own methodology called Simple for measuring and monitoring the impact of different types of investments against the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So we'll select some sustainable development goals, which can be around, of course, climate action or biodiversity, but also education, for example, when you're building school buildings, and measuring how much our assets contribute to these sustainable development goals. And the way we measure that with a quantitative aspects is by benchmarking their performance against a best-in-class series of comparable investments. Nevertheless, collecting and reporting data for the sake of it can also be counterproductive, notes Kravitz. 
data must have a real purpose. There is a lot of data collection going on in the entire food chain of the industry, which is often just data being collected for the sake of data collection and it's not being used for information and decision-making processes. Actually, being more selective about what data is collected and using it as information would be helpful for everyone. Musandar underscores that sentiment. So we collect probably uh, a few hundred KPIs in each of the portfolio companies in which we invest. And the investment director is following and managing the, the investment at, at Meridium has the responsibility to collect the data, challenge it, look at how and do something with it to ensure that it's not just reporting and data collection, but in a way to measure performance and see how also areas of improvement. And in there, the challenge is making sure that that remains relevant and doesn't become just uh, data in a spreadsheet because that has limited interest, of course. A method often employed successfully in other business sectors to incentivize staff to outperform and deliver progress is through remuneration. There has been a lot of talk of the merits of linking remuneration to ESG performance across the alternative spectrum. And Meridium is already doing it. We have clear ESG and SDG, Sustainable Development Goals, KPIs with clear targets. So that impacts people's arrival remuneration. We have the same structure in the portfolio companies where this impacts the remuneration of the executives in the portfolio companies. We've also made the choice to reflect that as well in the carried interest structure, as well in ESG, SDG assessment and metric impacting the carried interest allocation to the team in a way to track, measure and commit to non-financial performance performance the same way that we commit to delivering financial performance for investors. At Arcus Infrastructure Partners, the whole team has annual ESG-related objectives linked to variable compensation. And for those involved in investing, remuneration is linked to the ESG performance of investments. Investee company CEOs, too, have an element of their objectives tied to ESG. However, remuneration must not be a blunt or static tool, cautions Kravitz. Firms require flexibility to move the goalposts against which you judge and reward staff performance. If we just take a CEO example, in year one of us owning an asset, the objectives of a CEO for a business that maybe isn't so ESG mature might be around developing and implementing a policy suite and reporting, initial reporting around ESG. In year two, it might be about setting specific targets and participating in GRES for the first time in the assessment. In year three, it would be around improvements in the GRES score from year to year. So that level of flexibility is really required, I think, to design objectives and remuneration processes that are fitting for the specific example. More pertinently, investors' expectation that ESG performance is part of compensation structures is growing, Kravis explains. Generally, across the alternative space, I think investors do value a connection of variable remuneration to ESG. This is a question that comes up in almost every single one of the due diligence questionnaires or processes we have with our investors. So I think we have never had an issue, but I can imagine if we turned around and said, no, there were none, that would be a problem for investors. And so I think for me, it is already a common expectation. Gazing into the future and considering where the biggest sustainable investing opportunities in infrastructure could prove to be over the next decade or so, is always challenging. For Kravitz, the focus for investors will likely remain in climate mitigation and energy transition. From an ESG perspective, the other big opportunity, I believe, is really around the contribution that investors like us can have to the net zero agenda and really be able to illustrate very clearly decarbonisation pathways for every single business that we invest in. And that is, I think, a really important part of maturing the infrastructure sector. 
And lastly, I would say there's also a huge opportunity for standardization of reporting and KPIs, because I think the more that there is a commonly adopted language and data that everyone uses, then that will help facilitate opportunities for sustainability to continue to drive the investment agenda. Muzumdar predicts there will be a continued push by most governments to accelerate decarbonisation efforts and the energy transition, despite some of the recent backtracking. The key challenge for us as investors is maintaining some focus and some discipline on the investments that will continue to make sense. For Meridium, Muzumdar says that while there are very interesting opportunities to capitalise on new energy solutions, there is also a big challenge and therefore opportunity to rework, upgrade and green the more established conventional infrastructure sectors. That remains a very, very big part of, uh, in terms of uh, amounts of what needs to be done. Probably 40% of greenhouse gases in the European Union are coming from buildings and their emissions of heating them or cooling them. And this is something which is kind of locked in. So how do you address that as a real challenge? And if you've tried to do any kind of upgrade in your house, you know how, how challenging this can be in, in real life. In the road sector, there's a big push to electrify the networks in a way, and that will have a very significant impact on the, the carbon performance of the roads. There's a big upgrade that can be done in railways in a number of countries, in public buildings or private buildings as well, of course, in terms of upgrading the energy efficiency. There is also a growing need for green infrastructure and new renewables projects in emerging markets like Africa. This is despite suggestions from some quarters that there is a risk of overwhelming countries that do not have the financial infrastructure and institutions to funnel the influx of money. The worry is that it might create further instability in already fragile economies. As a prominent investor in the emerging markets, Muzumdar doesn't feel that's a concern. I think when you look at really the big macro numbers, we're still very far from having too much capital coming to being allocated to emerging markets when you look at the scale of what is needed. So there is a a real need to accelerate the investment in emerging markets. I think one of the key bottlenecks, though, remains the ability to develop and structure the projects into investable opportunities. I mean, this is what a big part of what we do is taking the time and putting together the teams to develop and structure these projects, make them investable opportunities and make them accessible to institutional investors. Today, sustainable investing is mainstream across infrastructure and there are few signs of the sector getting spooked or sidetracked by current macro headwinds. There's also no shortage of investable opportunities and institutional capital has a key role to play in delivering a better future for everyone. Thanks to Neil Kravitz of Arcus Infrastructure Partners and Matthew Muzumdar of Meridium. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or listen at any of PEI Group's various titles online, including infrastructureinvestor.com. I'm Helen Lure. Thanks for listening.